Hey guys, it's Stick of Fork in it. Uh, you guys are in for an awesome show today. We had a wonderful guest, one of Matt's longtime BFFs, and that was. Uh, Go ahead, Matt. It's our our good buddy, Chief Dan Slaughter. Yeah. What a perfect name for a police officer, right? Uh, right? Dude. <laughs> officer Slaughter has come to your door. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and it's it's so, it's like not representative. He's like such a sweet, nice guy. So like, you, yeah, he's he a is. really, really great human being. Yeah. He is. He yeah. is. And clearly he's an amazing leader. And uh, we just want you guys to listen and enjoy the show. And if you've ever thought about joining law enforcement, Clearwater, Police is your game because they do cover the beaches. So boats, four-wheelers, guys, right? Bicycles, Mm -hmm. motorcycles, you're in. Listen in now and see what's up. Welcome, everybody. This is a really exciting moment for me. My good friend, Chief Dan Slaughter from the Clearwater Police Department is here with us today. Chief, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to see you again, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, in in our little podcast adventure here, we like to dive right into the personal stuff before we get into the formal. So uh, why don't you just take a moment and introduce yourself to the group? Well, sure. Um, um, you know, I've been employed with the Clearwater Police Department for, for a while now, but uh, grew up in the beautiful state of Nebraska in Omaha, farm country. Uh, wow. Uh, but Good move. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's a switch. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, you know, uh, my wife is a Floridian, and she is, uh, you know, always uh, in love with going to see snow and stuff. For those who grew up in it and lived through snow and had to go to, you know, school and stuff, it's not as attractive to us, but uh, well, I'm a Floridian and I so get it. Yeah, That's like yeah. my perfect vacay. Yeah. So I'm with your wife. Yeah, it's because it's it's a it's a postcard for you, but it's <laughs> it's real for us. But uh, it's like a flashback for you. No. Yeah. But uh, moved down to Florida. Uh, my father was relocated down here for a job and um, went to the Largo High School. Um, you know, graduated there and, and went off to college, uh, went to St. Pete College originally and uh, and went to University of Maryland and finished up at USF. Uh, originally started out, wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. It was the Tom Cruise Top Gun era, and it was all about building airplanes. Right? How many pairs of aviators did you have? I had I had the green uh, flight jacket. <laughs> I was uh, going to say, the jacket? The spiky hair, the whole thing, and uh, and the Ray-Bans. Yep, absolutely. Um, but I uh, got into to college, and um, aeronautical engineering in, involves uh, calculus with analytic geometry, which uh, even though I have always been pretty strong in math, that wasn't math. Um, <laughs> the first day, uh, the instructor came in and wrote an equation on the board that was uh, the entire length of the chalkboard and uh, realized, mm, Houston, we got a problem. So yeah, I'm, uh, out. <laughs> I'm out at that point. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, a friend of mine was, um, his brother was working for Clearwater Police Department and he was just getting out of college and said he, he kind of decided he wanted to do the career. I went and did a ride along with his brother and, and immediately fell in love with the job and never looked back and, and knew that when I made that it, when I was exposed then, it was the job I wanted to do my whole life and um, and, and just fell in love with the work. Uh, so I finished up college, and uh, actually Clearwater hired me while I was still in my last semester. I was uh, 
attending uh, my last semester they called and said they wanted to send me to the police academy which is 40 hours a week so i told my college instructors i'm going to show up on exam day and do the best i could it's the only time i ever got two d's in college but uh d's passed. Got, got degrees right i the degrees <laughs> on my wall now it doesn't say anything about a d uh this is uh you know breaking news for anybody who's curious about my gpa <laughs> but now uh, you know now you know but uh so i uh, got into police work in clearwater and um and, uh, and have enjoyed every minute of it. I've, uh, you know, had the benefit of being exposed to several different specialties. You know, law enforcement is not just the, the boots on the ground guy running in the cruiser. There's a lot of things that you can specialize in and certain, um, you know, uh, areas where you, where you can kind of go where your personal interests are. And my personal interest was more the detective work. Okay. So I moved into uh, the detective work and did the robbery and the homicides and death investigations for, for a while. And, and uh, you know, eventually kind of started working my way up the ladder from there but um but really enjoyed uh, every aspect i did another role uh, that i did not want to do the uh, chief of police at the time chief sid klein had said you know i think you need to go do this accreditation thing and policy stuff and you know who watches a cop movie is it ever the accreditation manager and the policy guy it's, it's he's not the hero so you know it's not the most attractive one but it definitely prepared me to be a chief you know you learned every aspect of the administrative side of the organization and and um you know when chief holloway went to saint pete uh, pd and um you know i was fortunate to get the call to to take the helmet the police department and i'm so proud to lead the men and women of clearwater police department to the, the best people in the world best people i have to say as a clearwater resident i i have to completely agree we uh you know we're so fortunate to have you and your team protecting our community and uh and taking care of us and um you know it's i was going to ask you you know it's nice to have the stars on the shoulders i'm sure but uh what was your favorite thing about being a detective what was it that that drew you to that side of the work well um and i apologize to my wife who took care of all of the uh, huge responsibilities that come with running a home but uh, I will admit I loved the phone ringing at one in the morning and going to work and not knowing when I was going to get home and it just being fast-paced over and over and over again and um, you know just uh, kind of being on the heels of trying to solve a crime and catch a bad guy or, or to bring something to a conclusion it just uh, I, I think I've made it what, 37 hours without sleep one time straight you know and uh um and just because we were just running on the heels of something the whole time and it's tough on them on the family though to you know say i gotta go to work i, I don't know when i'll be back you know but wow you know, i'm okay and that was before the days of where cell phones were prevalent so you didn't have as much connectivity as you do now uh, so all right was, so it was I, fun i have to ask csi totally and completely made up mostly made up or eh, not too far off um I, I think there is some validity to some of the science that's involved uh some of the rapidness of which they solve things is unusual the uh the also the um not many agencies have CSI employees that are actually uh, doing arrests and doing the whole enchilada. You know, they're usually just a specialty in itself. But uh, so you didn't have like the take your glasses off and a catchphrase kind of thing when you arrested somebody. No, I, I didn't. I uh, can't say that there ever was the, the Clint Eastwood clip or anything I could uh, pull from. But uh, but the forensic people are such a vital vital part of what we do today, and 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 many many cases uh, are are solved on the heels of a lot of good work by some kind of unsung heroes that don't get the same credit as the law enforcement, the sworn employees, you know, worth yeah. mentioning. Right. Yeah, I, I think that it brings up a really interesting question for me because, you know, we do see the guys in cruisers and the guys with the canine, and we we see the men and women who are out there walking the streets and riding the bikes around on the uh, beach and, you know, taking care of the community in a very public way. But I know, 
that for for your organization to be as effective as it is, there are a ton of people behind the scenes. So, you know, tell us a little bit about what that looks like. Yeah. And if there's anything that really kind of put it front and center was this COVID-19 emergency that, uh, you know, law enforcement, as far as the officers, they, they weren't really, the, I won't say they didn't do some brave things, but they, they, they're not the only heroes in this response. And uh, our communication staff, uh, you know, just think about not being able to staff that operation in an emergency because there's health concerns. And uh, if you have to call 911 or call for the police, somebody's got to answer that phone first. So it starts with, with that, uh, you know, non-sworn employee that is uh, highly trained and highly dedicated. Um, trying to keep um, you know the records departments going and, and the training and the all those other functions that um, you know we're used to dealing with hurricane emergencies where you kind of shut the thing down for a week no big deal everybody's goes home they you know hide in their house for a week and then you kind of catch up and but when this thing was protracted as long as it was it made you know staffing a concern and all those employees are having the same problems that every other citizen is having as far as uh, you know child care and school and um, just all those challenges so um, you know, not only uh, you know I think the cops are, are heroes I, I, I see that every day uh, but our non-sworn civilian support staff and even the staff in the in the community I mean through this emergency I mean in my mind you know your your frontline worker at Publix and Walmart is really the hero. They had to keep those things open and running uh, yeah. while the restaurants are closed and there's no other option for food and uh, or you know without takeout or whatever. But it's just you know the, that person's working for you know very low wage or minimum wage or, or you know uh, and, and uh, you know that's some dedication there. I, I think yeah. we should all as a community be proud of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I think you know you hit on something that just we felt it here and i'm sure you did as well it's a huge leadership challenge when you have all of those different things coming at you so a totally unprecedented event you have all of these outside stressors on your team um and it just makes me think about how you and i got to know each other a little bit which is through the leadership pinellas program um i'd love to hear your thoughts on you know leadership programs in general or or your opinions of leadership and how uh how that helped you lead your team through what's been a pretty stressful so five or six months now yeah definitely a uh the uniqueness about this situation is um you know, generally there's, uh, you know, a roadmap or a plan that you can pull off the shelf or even a community that's experienced it, you know, a pandemic of this magnitude hasn't been seen in this country for over 100 years. So there really wasn't anybody that you could call. Um, But uh, with that being said, I I think that those are good opportunities for people to, you know, rise to the challenge of leadership. And, um, and you know, I don't think that, you know, me or the Clearwater Police Department was any way, you know, unique. Uh, I think a lot of people did uh, and across the uh, the entire country. Um, I'm very dependent on a group called the Police Executive Research Forum. Uh, I sit on their board. It's a national um, law enforcement think tank. And uh, Chuck Wexler, the director there, he just he pivoted on a dime. I'd never seen an organization be so responsive. And uh, he immediately started interviewing chiefs across the nation and disseminating a daily response on what the problems were that people were seeing and how they were adapting to it. So we were all kind of building a plan on the fly. But but with the collaboration of the best law enforcement minds across the nation. Um, so that was very extremely useful for me. And I've, I've got a, uh, you know, a senior executive or a, um, you know, a command staff team that is uh, top notch. I know you're familiar with Major David Dalton. He's a good friend of yours yes. and, and uh, definitely one of the smartest people in law enforcement right now. He is, uh, he is uh, just a wonderful, wonderful asset to the community. He runs our administrative, our training, and kind of the, uh, 
the uh, strategic focus of the organization. Um, my deputy chief, uh, Eric Gandy, um, you know, longtime Tampa Bay family. I mean, his great grandfather's built the bridge. That's why it's named <laughs> what it is. Um, and, right. he, and he is just a you know, heavy operational guy. So, um, and then I have two other command staff members. We're just all five completely different personalities. We wouldn't agree on what color the sky is. But when it comes to, you know, sh- troubleshooting and coming up with uh, opportunities and options, um, you know, I, I, I like to think I'm kind of a servant leader. I, I get ideas. I evaluate those ideas of what my principles are and what I think needs to be accomplished. And then I, you know, pick one. Um, you know, I'll, I'll joke around sometimes and say you're either the Captain Kirk where you're flying by the seat of your pants or there's Jean-Luc Picard, the Star Trek, you know, who kind of gets options and then picks one. I'm probably the Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, um, and, uh, and Eric Andy is, is the uh, Captain Kirk. And together we complement each other. And, uh, and uh, the whole team just, just works really well together. Um, there was a lot of just anxiety with your staff you had to deal with. That really was, in my mind, um, the biggest challenge, you know, because we didn't have a lot of people getting sick. We didn't have all those kind of issues. It was just the same, i got to go out and handle this call. Am I going to get sick? What's going to happen if I do get sick? And, you know, I can take it home with my family and all those kind of things. So we did more communication with our staff than we ever did before through conference calls and video calls and emails and and um, and just tried to, you know, reassure them that, uh, you know, we got this. And, and we did. This podcast was made possible by the innovative thinking and the funding of Feeding America a nationwide network of more than 200 food banks that feed more than 46 million people through food pantries, soup kitchens, shelters, and other community-based agencies. Yeah, it seems like that that diversity of thought is really critical. You know, we've found that here on our senior leadership team, we have eight very different perspectives and and very unique people that, uh, again, probably wouldn't also agree on whether the sky is blue or not. But, uh, you know, our team does a great job of the same thing, of, of bringing all those opinions together and saying, you know what, here's here's what we know, here's what we think, and here's what we want to go, you know, here's where we want to go, and then working together to get there. But in a lot of ways, that only works when you have a foundation that you share. And so one of the things that maybe, Shannon, you want to jump in, because I know you were doing some uh, web surfing here before the conversation today, and you came across something you found really interesting about Clearwater PD. So yes, Chief, I was looking at your website, and you have your core principles listed, and you have quite a lofty list, and I actually love them all. But uh, we won't go into it. We'll have people go to your website, which they need to. But um, I wanted to know what were the most important ones to you, all of them being important. But what were the most important to you? So, you know, if you, um, you know, take a lesson out of the Bible, you know, somebody asks Jesus, you know, what's the you know, most important commandment or rule? And, and he replies that, you know, love thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and uh, love your neighbors yourself. All the other ones derive from those two, or those two. And I think with our strategic plan and our core principles, it's uh, similar to that. Um, our priority is preservation of life under all circumstances, whether it's uh, the officer's life, the citizen or the victim's life, or even the, the life of a perpetrator or an offender. Um, we want uh, an outcome that involves everybody's life being preserved. And I think in today's day and age, that's uh, something, and it's been in place for, for several years, but it, it's something we want to make sure the community knows is valuable to us, that, that everybody's life, we're not going into any scenario looking for 
anybody's uh, to get hurt and uh, and so that that's a core that that is you know the utmost highest core principle and then our commitment to excellence I mean we want to make sure that we are providing the best service and that we're a learning organization that's constantly trying to do better um, that we're not just sitting stagnant um, Clearwater's been a place that's had strong community support for decades long before I ever became chief it's it's a it's in their DNA to be connected to the community and and it's nothing that Dan Slaughter's done it's something that 245 police officers do on a daily basis and and um, and we don't ever want to take that for granted so we want to make sure that we're continually trying to improve and get better and meet the needs of our community the other thing referenced in there is um, is uh, the principles of Sir Robert Peel and those are, uh, you know, they're nine, and there's probably two to list them all, and uh, I'd, I would even struggle to do them by memory, too. But they, the foundation of many of those is that you got to recognize the, uh, that your power comes from the community, and the community has to, has to really, um, you know, believe that you are a legitimate organization doing the right thing. And, if, you know, it even brings into perspective what, what is important. So, uh, you know, one of the principles of, of Sir Robert Peel talks about, you know, the, the true um, – um, the true representation of an organization being successful in police work is the absence of crime, not how you're responding to it. So not seeing a bunch of police officers running up and down the road with lights and sirens on, tackling people and making a bunch of arrests. It's being, it's living in a peaceful community where yeah. you feel safe. Absolutely. Uh, yes. That is the true testament of a police department. And, um, and, uh, and even the, the concepts of many of them talk about um, how using force, you know, is, is proportional on, on, you know, the, the cooperation of the public. Mm-hmm. If you have cooperation, operation of the public and buy-in from the public and uh, and the community, then they are much more likely to you know, recognize that you're a legitimate organization and respond favorably when you try to take police action as opposed to resist and oppose. Um, I, yeah, I think in many ways there are similarities between what you just shared and, and how we think about our work, right? The the ultimate sign of success for you is not having to arrest anybody. Right. And the ultimate sign of a success for us is not having to feed anybody. Right. You know, that, that there aren't folks in need who are hungry. And we're, so... Yeah, we're a hungry person in the world. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, you did kind of crack the door, so I'm going to stumble through it and, <laughs> and ask you a little bit about, uh, you know, I'm sure the... Everything that's happened in the last several months uh, has to have weighed heavily on you. And I would love to just hear your thoughts about the challenges that we see across our country in relations between communities and the peacekeeping force that is supposed to protect and serve them. Sure. I mean, um, this is definitely, um, you know, on the heels of COVID, you're kind of looked at as being a hero and the pendulum just swung overnight. And, um, and the, the George Floyd, uh, you know, death in Minneapolis, um, you know, when that happened, the, the first thing I did as quickly as I could was condemn that behavior. And uh, and I think every responsible police chief did just that. Um, and then, of course, uh, start looking internally for things you can you, you can seek, you know, to be committed to that committed that commitment to excellence and that continual improvement. Um, you know, law enforcement has been doing better though and I, I think that message has been lost how much we've uh, you know improved and long before the George Floyd incident I was doing a community mess meeting and talking to some people and and they were concerned about peace brutality um, you know this is kind of post Ferguson not post Floyd but mm-hmm. a while back and and I asked the question I said you know you know 30 years ago if you walked up and talked to a cop and called them all a bunch of nasty words and you were really rude to him and nasty and, and rude is there a higher degree that he would have punched you back then or today 
And of course, everybody says 30 years ago, the cops wouldn't have put up with any of that, you know. So we, we've definitely got more discipline, more um, more committed uh, officers and more professional officers. Um, but um, but there are still some, some huge challenges in law enforcement, especially when it comes to trying to police uh, communities that have been disenfranchised. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, we pay the the price, I think, in law enforcement for more of the politics than anything. I, I know that... Um, few years back the uh, representatives from the International Association of Chiefs Police they did like a public apology to uh, for the the uh, the role that law enforcement played in in treating minority communities inappropriately which was uh, you know um, uh, commended by the politicians when they did that but the politician wasn't taking responsibility for the rules and the laws that he put on the back of the law enforcement trying to make them do it either you know so there there's a component there that I think uh, you know we take the brunt of the the uh, of the, the beat down on that but it's um you know clearwater is a, a community that um has always been connected uh to to law enforcement as far as working in partnerships to deal with the issues um you know i i we had community forums and we um spoke with members of our community and and i just kind of made it a point that um to to follow a, a concept of you know i need to listen i need to admit i don't know everything and uh, and I need to admit that I don't need to win an argument here. I just need to to learn. And uh, and uh, you know, we didn't have some of the issues that other communities had with social unrest. And and the community meeting was very cordial. It wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, you know a screaming match. It was an opportunity for people to kind of express their concerns. So I, I walked away from there feeling that. You know, I, I need to do a better job communicating to a, va- a larger audience. Uh, we're communicating to some core um, leaders in the community that have been there for a long time, and there's kind of a transition of information now that no longer can you talk to the community leaders and it's going to trickle down to the community. It's all Facebook and all uh, right. all different forums now. So I'm going to have to get much more expansive in how we talk about some of the, the concerns. Um, the community, it, the, the revelation was also that they just, they didn't know how far we'd come. Right. And they didn't know how rare some of the stuff is that, that was concerning them. And um, there was this big popular campaign called Eight Can't Wait. It was eight policies that every law enforcement agency, you know, needs to do. And it kind of came out that as a lot of people protested law enforcement, like you need to do these eight can't wait. Well, even my officers came to me and were looking at the eight can't wait and said, you've been doing these for 20 years, you know. Right. And and, right. and I thought, quite honestly, I was amazed at some of the agencies that came forward and said, oh, yeah, we need to do a couple of these. And they hadn't been doing them for 20 years, you know. So, you know, we're pretty progressive in that. And I don't think I adequately have shared that with the community. Um, you know, use of force in Clearwater is very low. We make um, 5,800 arrests a year. And we use force 175 times. 125 of that is just, you know, kind of having to deal with somebody bracing and tensing, not, you know, not all the other weapons and stuff. So, right. so it's a very rare occasion that we even use force. Um, that's like less than 2%. So. Well, well, and I think the thing that I hear when you talk about it, and you've said this a couple times already in our conversation, is that you feel a real deep sense of connection to the community. And one of the things that seems to just be the rhythm of these incidents is that something you know some terrible incident will spark and then we'll start to hear more and more about the community and within the community there's been tension and there's been a history of terrible incidents and this is not 
some one-off surprise it's that it happened in these particular places but the the anger bubbles over because it's a consistent toxic relationship and so i'd love for you to talk a little bit about your policy of park walk and talk because i think that to me anyway as a as a clearwater resident it feels like the core of why you feel totally comfortable saying you know our officers are part of the community yeah and, I, and this uh the park walk and talk um program was something instituted by chief holloway when he was our chief um it was um um you know um what we casually refer to as a uh, foot patrol on steroids i mean there was a lot of conversation about you know cops need to get out and talk to people and they need to be connected and and um and it was a masterful way of way tony and david dalton played a big role in implementing this practice uh, by the way um and um you know there's some research that shows to the one thing that consistently builds trust in a community is um intentional non-enforcement engagement of of community members and so the park walk and talk program is just that the cop takes 15 minutes he gets out of the car does non-enforcement activity just interacts with the community here's what the community concerns are reassures the community they're safe just by the casual interaction and uh and build those relationships that are not uh the only time you see a cop is when they're giving you a ticket or or making some type of enforcement action um there's uh research that clearly shows that that reduces crime just having that 15 minute presence and it's weird because the research shows you know you would think hey do it three times we'll do 45 minutes this is great it's not a multiplier effect 15 minutes makes a difference and uh and, uh, and it's been very, very effective for us in maintaining our relationship with the community. We've talked, even after this George Floyd, though, about, you know, we've been doing that for seven years now, eight years. We need to kind of rebrand it and get back to kind of make everybody feel fresh on it again because, uh, you know, like anything you do for eight years, you start, it gets a little monotonous. And we had to um, really take advantage, at least me internally with my staff, to really take advantage of, the negative situation that's currently occurred and use that as an opportunity to show this is why we're doing this really really valuable function and uh, and i think it's uh, uh we've already had those discussions and i think it'll continue to to help us um you know maintain that that and uh, you know, hopefully even increase that level of trust with the community yeah it seems like every time i see one of those viral videos of a cop taking off his vest and you know going deep for a pass and or you know putting his gun belt down and playing basketball or or whatever it is it's like i think to myself yeah i could absolutely see that in clearwater i could see that in st pete because that's where chief holloway is now and doing the same thing and uh you know i just want to want to reinforce the positive results you've seen from that because i i know as a member of your community we see we sense it good it's good to hear well and we've actually had at trinity cafe law enforcement come in and take over serving um at our tables and to see the engagement with those that we serve that even some that were maybe a little bristled at the beginning um that when um, they're served by an officer and then engage in conversation by the end of their time it's a completely different uh, way they're communicating they're laughing and then months later they return and it's almost like a friendship is created so it's just meeting someone twice for just a few minutes in a day just like you said makes all the difference in the world and they feel like they've 
made a bond. So it's just so important, like you said, and, and we've seen that here at our programs. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I love, um, you know, having you guys and, and other law enforcement officers like you come out to distributions that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's it's such a neat thing to see, uh, whether it's Chief Holloway's guys or Chief Dugan's guys or, you know, whoever it is uh, coming out and serving right next to our volunteers Mm -hmm. and uh, taking that opportunity to just share a smile and a uh, a bag of groceries with somebody in need no it's it's um you know to even go back to your um your uh, the principals and um sir robert peel you know the public are the police and the police are the public the only difference between the public and the police is we're paid to do full-time what everybody's supposed to do all the time and that's you know help make a safe community mm-hmm. and care about the community and it's mm-hmm. we're people you know it gets mm-hmm. lost a lot we're people to your point of of, of serving and getting to mm-hmm. know somebody i um i remember one of my experiences as an officer training somebody and uh really really busy night i'm going from call to call to call to call to call and and i get one call uh, you know it's it's i've just been busy all night and i get the call and i'm literally right around the corner from the address i'm like oh i'm gonna be there within within a minute i get there within a minute and i knock on the door and that lady just starts laying into me and just chewing me out left and right and i called them this and i called all this hour ago and and I'm like, ma'am, can we stop a second? My name's Dan, you know? I, I took, I didn't say Officer Slaughter or anything. I said, my name's Dan. I just got your call a minute ago. I don't know what happened, but let me fix what you called around initially, and then we'll deal with the comp center thing next. And by the time I got done with the original call, she's like, Dan, you're good. Don't worry about it, you know? And <laughs> exactly. She, she, and, and it just, we got to just remember we're human beings and just right. take, a, take a pause, take a breath. And, um, and if we can just all slow down for a minute and, and just calm down and talk, we'll be just fine. Just fine. Yeah, I have to say, um, one of my favorite pictures that I have in my house is uh, a moment of you, actually, with my youngest son, Nolan. <laughs> um, I'm sure you remember the moment, but I invited you to come and uh, read a children's book to his early learning center. And uh, let's see, how do we describe Nolan? Nolan is very engaging and uh, he likes to be at the center of the attention. And so I actually... Where did he get that? (laughs) I have no idea. Could not be from me. And where is he in the lineup? He's the baby. So Mm. yeah, makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So I actually have a series of pictures. It starts with Nolan on the ground, you know, sitting crisscross applesauce, just like everyone else. And then Nolan's standing up and he's, you know, mouth wide open, talking and pointing. And then he's in the teacher's lap. And then he is side by side with Chief Slaughter and they're reading the book together to the rest of the class. Well, and I, you know, and um, you know when you were in another organization you helped really start that beautiful program and um, it was something that was near dear to my heart and what you're talking about is our officer friendly reading program that we do in cooperation with the early learning center and uh, so um, you know my wife's a preschool teacher and um, we, we used to live up in Trinity where she teaches preschool for over a decade she's been doing it for a long time we couldn't go to a restaurant without Miss Holly Miss Holly and some kid running up and hugging her and so I remember you know, that's the relationship I want to have with the kids in our community so that when they even grow up, too, that, that we have those long-standing relationships. And uh, lo and behold, Matt comes with this great idea for us to partner with some people. And to so, you know, once a month, uh, an officer is kind of uh, has adopted a daycare center and uh, goes and reads a book to the class and builds that relationship that hopefully lasts, you know, decades. And, um, and that, going back to the COVID thing, that's just been kind of a... 
uh, sad that we haven't been able to have the opportunity to do that with all the shutdowns and such because, uh, you know, uh, being a Chiefs, not a bad job, but it doesn't have – some days are not as much fun. And um, there was one thing that always re-energized me was going and seeing the kids for an hour, reading a book, and just uh, kind of remembering what the world's all about. So, You guys should do that on your Facebook page. Yeah, we should we should video live stream a couple. You should, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, but then if I stumble with a kid's word or something, then I look like a dum dum. But uh. yeah, but that goes back to you're just one of us, That's man. True. That's there true. you go. I always find it difficult with the bifocals to line up the book. <laughs> <laughs> Get the big print. We'll be okay. No, that'd be great. Yeah, yes, yeah, so, you know it, it is so neat to see officers of all shapes and sizes and colors and ages interacting with four and five-year-olds right there is nothing that equalizes people more than having to engage with a three or four-year-old you know and and it's just it's a really neat thing that you guys have continued for years now and um and i know how much your organization loves doing it uh and i have to say when when we pitched that concept to a variety of different law enforcement agencies you came out of your chair you know you were yes i I didn't even finish my sentence and we're in we're doing it i can't and don't want to make it mandatory but i know i won't have to because i'll have a ton of officers you tell me how many locations you want us to be in we're there yeah i think we had 20 and and then we ended up uh with more volunteers than we needed and i had to have uh you know backups and stuff so it uh it was a good uh it was it was a great moment and still continues to be just one of the uh programs that i'm most proud of you know yeah and i you know it makes me think about you know your comment earlier about it's not always fun to be the chief sometimes you have some rough days and that's i'm sure true for everybody up and down the line who wears a badge but there are some i i would guess and and i'd love to hear your thoughts on this that there are some things that make a good law enforcement officer and there are people out there who are considering that career what what advice would you give or what you know what traits do you look for yeah, great question. Um, because this has even come up, and you know, how do you create an organization that um, that kind of um, has the organizational culture that we have at Clearwater? And we've always been very careful on the type of people we select. Um, you know, I look at every folder before we hire anybody. I go through the background, and so I, I look for people who are civic-minded, that they've had a history of doing some kind of you know volunteerism and, and uh, commitment to the community that. Um, uh, you know, highest ethical standards, and um, and then we believe in just providing really good training and really good, um, um, you know, a, a culture and mentorship to, to kind of build in and feed into that and give them the opportunity to, to participate in programs like um, the officer-friendly reading program or other community programs to kind of just uh, uh, keep fostering it. But um, anybody who's, who's interested in a career in law enforcement, um, you know, you would think with the current environment that applications are down locally in Pinellas, they're actually up. That's great. And, uh, wow. and I think it's because if there's one true thing about American employee or American people is uh, they don't shy away from a challenge. When they see that things are wrong, they think, I think I can do that. I think it can help. And, um, and I think that's what you're going to see now. So I, it's almost like a self-correcting thing that there's some challenges in law enforcement, but there's some good people that are going to step up the plate and say, you know what, I can, I can help. And so, you know, we, we're seeing that. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we want to have a, a much more diverse organization, though. Um, you know, Clearwater is kind of mirror, mirrors its community from a, a, a percentage basis as far as the racial demographics. But uh, we would like to see a lot more uh, minorities you know, have an interest in law enforcement. And if, if um, you know, Corporal Jared Stiff, 
uh, is our, our recruiter. And if anybody's interested in that, uh, uh, please contact Corporal Jared Stiff. You can go to the Clearwater Police Department uh, website, and um, there's a recruiting tab. There's a video. And if you have an opportunity to even look at the video, I think you'll see exactly the type of person that we're looking for. And, and our video is not about... Um, you know, driving down in the tank and blowing things up. Our video is about community engagement and community involvement and, and, um, and people that just love working in Clearwater. Yeah, it's, it's so nice to hear that. And, and it, I think you're right when you said earlier that something that's existed for a really long time in Clearwater, I think about uh, the namesake of that officer-friendly program, Officer Fred Casale. Right. You know, he, uh, he was the officer-friendly for the city for so long. And honestly, he is, uh, you know, he's still to this day is very involved in the Clearwater community. And you know, he's been, probably been retired 25 years or something. But it's been a while. He, uh, personally, I just, uh, in knowing him, knowing you, knowing David, you know, there's just so many good men and women that work for Clearwater. I, I really appreciate the culture that you've built because you can feel it when you interact with officers. Florida Blue's mission is to help people and communities achieve better health. In partnership with Feeding Tampa Bay, their collective goal is a hunger-free Tampa Bay by 2025. How will we do that? By ensuring that all our neighbors have access to fresh, nutritious food that is essential to a healthy and capable lifestyle. We invite you to join the movement. Visit hungerfree2025.com. Well, it's kind of, you know, maybe to turn the tables here, I got a good opportunity to have a tour today, and I felt the same culture out here as I saw many, many people volunteering. I mean, how many volunteer hour how many people do you got volunteering here in, in a typical year we'll have about forty thousand folks come through and volunteer that's whether amazing. that's here on site or at our mobile distributions like your team does and uh yeah that's you know i i love to hear somebody say that because it's important to us you know just like you have your core principles we have our values as well and it's it's something that we work really hard you know even if somebody only engages with us for four hours in a volunteer shift we think they're going to walk away knowing what we value and who we value um and just like your organization you know feeding tampa bay is of the community and for the community and if you don't feel that when you walk out of here we haven't done our job yeah and i know when um this covid thing started and it got to the point where they shut down the economy um i remember being completely terrified that we were going to have community members because we're we're a service-based economy so a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck and uh and i know from my job the need is great prior to that yeah so i see it being you know significantly exact exaggerated in the, the midst of the emergency so i gotta imagine you guys were you know double pumping and, and don't know much more than you usually do yeah absolutely still we, <laughs> we still are and, <laughs> yeah. and and i think you know not only did the need for our work just explode and you know just to give you one number that i think exemplifies that we're doing these mega distributions now seven or eight of them a week around our 10 counties and uh early on we were um we were doing some surveys of folks who were coming through the line because at tropicana field we were seeing a thousand or twelve hundred families come through uh in in need of food support and 70 percent of them had never interacted with the food relief system before. 70% had never needed food assistance. And, you know, I think the thing that is so important for us in terms of getting the message out there is that even though it seems like the medical side of things is starting to wane, starting to calm down a bit, the economic impact 
and therefore the need for our work is only just beginning you know our our calculations tell us it'll probably be another 18 months of elevated need so we went from you know four or five million uh meals every month to now we're well over eight million meals a month and we don't think that that will subside anytime soon well, I, I mean, I please, uh, you know, some way share it with your staff uh, and uh, just the organ. I, you guys have filled a, a void that the community can never thank you enough for. Thank you. Thank you for that. And now I'm going to make a really uh, totally out of left field transition here that does not uh go along with the flow of our conversation but you said something that makes me think of a, of a different question you said we're a service-based economy and uh one of the things that i didn't originally know about the clearwater police department until you know i started hanging out on the beach was that you have officers out on the beach clearwater beach is part of the city of clearwater and uh that's got to be an interesting tour of duty so, uh, you know, Clearwater, is, uh, as far as geographically from the police department, it's, it's broken up into three different districts, and the beach is District 1. Um, and, as uh, it should be. Uh, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's the smallest one. It's the smallest. <laughs> it is, uh, it's a challenge, and um, it's um, because uh, there's some residential property blended with a tourist property out there. Of course, the number one beach in, in the world is Clearwater Beach. The beautiful um, sand is so popular, and we have some of the best hotels and restaurants and, um, available. Um, you know, the officers out there, they do a wonderful job of being ambassadors just for the whole community in the city and, um, and engaging with people who are here on vacation and, uh, and just kind of, you know, promoting that culture of safety. The sand is, is challenging um, because we have some rules that are, you know, um, you know, if you go to the Caribbean, you can kind of walk around with a beer, but if you come to Clearwater Beach, you can't. Um, the beer has to stay at the, the places where they're designated, and that's because we want it to be family friendly. We want that beach to be friendly family, uh, friendly, family friendly. And so, um, so we have officers that work out in the sand and uh, interacting and trying to make sure that a lot of that uh, that family friend, friend, friendly atmosphere is being maintained. It uh, it's um, it's it's a challenge with traffic out there. It's uh, you yes, know one way is. on, one way or one way off. So you know that that roundabout, yeah, roundabout, and, uh, <laughs> and and it can create a little bit of frustration and and with some people, but. Um, uh, crime is relatively low out there, though, for the most part. It's a kind of occasional theft issue. Don't leave your phone on your beach blanket. I don't know how many times i got to try to explain that, but if you went to the Bucks game and put your phone on the seat and walked away, you wouldn't expect it to be there when you got back. Don't do it right. on your beach blanket. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, uh, but, uh, but the officers do a good job of staying very connected out there, managing the, uh, the, the, the atmosphere. So I would imagine you have, you know, boats and bicycles and four-wheelers. What other kind of toys do you have for for that environment yeah you know all the vehicles out there are four-wheel drive so they can get on the sand if they need to we have uh, what's called uh, kind of a mule or atv a four-wheel uh you know vehicle that can uh, it's kind of like a golf cart that can go out and go on the sand or other um difficult to get to places um just about to transition uh, to a new boat we just uh got approval to to get a new vessel that uh, will meet our needs a little better we're having a little bit of issue with mooring vehicles and derelict vessels and stuff so we're going to have to spend a little more time on the water trying to get that under control 
Um, and um, you know, you got bicycles. Shannon volunteers as tribute for that job. <laughs> uh, I just was going to say, if you are interested <laughs> in joining the Clearwater Beach, <laughs> the Clearwater Police Department, it's clearwaterpolice.org. There you go. They've got and, all the cool toys. And the video shows those toys pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yes, it does. <laughs> so one time of the year is extremely challenging, I would imagine. Or has that changed, actually? Because you mentioned how long you've been with the department. Spring break. So I'm... I am 52 and I've lived here. I'm a Floridian. So I remember what spring break used to be. You and I both. We do, right? <laughs> it is, these people have no idea, right? <laughs> um, so I know it has calmed down. Um, so I don't think it's as challenging as it used to be. But there's a time of year that's absolutely nuts at Clearwater Beach. Yeah, it's um, it's it's still challenging. It's not as challenging as it used to be for for different reasons. Um, you know, back uh, you know 20 years ago when uh, when we were kids, I guess uh, 20 23 years ago. Um, you know, the the beach during the six weeks during the spring was just uh, a lot of young kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. I always refer to it as I did jokingly earlier with y'all about the you know, the MTV spring break crowd. It yep. was about music and drinking and partying, and it was a lot of mom and pop hotels and kind of you had college crowds really here. Um, that's really it's it, they still get some of the college crowd, but it's a lot more families than it was before. We have a you know the hotels are a different type of mm-hmm. hotel than we had before, so it's attracting more of a um, you know interstate travel or, or a co- of um, interstate or uh, intercoastal. Um, uh, travel. It's uh, but the beach has also developed a lot since then. If you've been out there, there's yeah. restaurants, bars. It's 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 totally different than what it was 25 years ago. And so now, we see every weekend with beautiful weather, spring the the, the beach is packed. Right. And so so now we, we've had to really increase our deployment. The deployment for the beach has probably doubled uh, in the last 10 years. And wow. uh, and we still put extra resources on other peak times when we have to. So uh, it's much busier. Uh, the traffic on every weekend is going be busy if it's beautiful weather and um, and we're fortunate to have that uh, we're fortunate that it's a popular place that uh, both our residents and, and other visitors can come and enjoy and um, you know we're, we're just um, trying to do everything we can to make sure that everybody has a, a pleasurable trip and and it's peaceful and and uh, quiet and and we all need to relax and no, there's no better place to do that in Clearwater Beach yeah as somebody who grew up in the area and spent a lot of time at Clearwater Beach. I used to know every single place where you could find parking and not have to pay for it. And one by one over the last decade, well, probably 20 years, those have disappeared. And, you know, the, the laundromat say. that used to have the underground parking is gone. And the mom and pop hotels that where you knew the three spots they never charged you for were, right. you know, all of that stuff is gone now. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But, but uh, parking's not too expensive. So uh, download your Park Mobile app and make it easy. There you go. <laughs> and I know people are really um, very thankful that the beaches are back open uh, and people are honoring social distancing and the restaurants are being responsible. So I know people are very excited to be back out there again. I have kids who are going there all the time. So, yeah, we've, um, you know, opening and closing the beach was something I never would have thought I would ever have right. to deal with. And uh, and I think we developed a really good plan for the reopen and um uh, some people are more committed to socially distancing than others, but uh, for the most part, uh, I think people are, are uh, being very responsible. Um, we're, we're continually checking on the restaurants and the bars to make sure that they're following the rules too, and uh, for the most part, they've been very, very good. Okay. Happy to report that. So I, uh, you know, the the name of this podcast is Stick a Fork in It because we work really hard here to stick a fork in hunger. We want to put an end to it. 
if there was anything that you could stick a fork in from your perspective, what would it be? Anything I could stick a fork in and put an end to it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think it'd be pre- police brutality across the nation because um, I, I don't. I, I I want people to know that uh, uh, that at least you know me and the Clearwater Police Department we're committed to not allowing that kind of behavior. Um, in our profession, you know, you, you're tired of paying for other people's sins. Uh, you know, law enforcement's judged nationally, not individually. So, you know, some somebody, some clown doing something in Minneapolis affects my people and my department and my community. And uh, so if I could make that go away, and uh, I think that would be um, be something that would, you know, make, make the world a better place. I think that's a pretty worthy yeah. goal. And, and we know you've done an amazing job of doing that here in Clearwater where you have control over it. So yes. do the best you can. Chief, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you and for everything you guys have done for our community. We're very proud to have you here. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, welcome to What the Food Bank. Uh, you know, this is the little segment where we kind of get into some of the behind the scenes stuff about what we talk about in the main show. And we just had a really awesome interview with Chief Slaughter from Clearwater Police Department. And um, we have brought onto the show today one of our favorite coworkers, Rhonda, who is our Chief Operating Officer uh, at here at Feeding Tampa Bay. And um, Rhonda, do you want to tell us just a little bit about, you know, kind of like just a, a brief introduction of like what your role is with us? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been at the food bank for five years now. And throughout my time at the food bank, I have worked in different areas such as agency relations, which works with our partners out in the community who help get food into those uh, who need it. And I've worked in the procurement department when it comes down to how do we get all of that food that our families really need. Um, In my newest role, um, I've become the chief operating officer and it's how do we manage and get that food out to the community too. So right now I oversee, when you think about food banking, I oversee all things food in and food out and how we manage it in the process. So I think it's really important your response to that is um, Feeding Tampa Bay is such an inclusive environment. It's you started when you started your job and the way that you've moved up and your experiences led you to a very um, important leadership role with our team. So I think that's um, really something that's a testament to our leadership that we have there and that uh, the experience that you've had with that. So we had Chief Slaughter on. We encourage everyone to listen. It was amazing. Um, Of course, we know that, um, you know, our law enforcement is a bit under the spotlight and he was very enlightening on that. And we just want you to help us understand how law enforcement um, has such an amazing role with Feeding Tampa Bay and how our operations uh, work best. Well, I'd love to start with my favorite story of how we really, in my personal view, started getting connected a little bit deeper with our law enforcement. When Hurricane Irma happened, I was working on distribution in one of my previous roles, and I received a call from Chief Holloway. Uh, Chief Holloway of uh, the St. Pete Police Department has been such a wonderful partner to us throughout our journey the last few years, and I'm sure prior to then as well. But what was really nice, he reached out and said, we have people we have uh, that are in need of food, power is down right now. How do I get them connected to the resources? I would say within probably 24 to 48 hours, we had a mobile pantry up and running out in St. Pete. Um, so that's kind of where, where our story began that he reached out and said, hey, my community really needs something. How do we get them the services that they need? And you know, Chief Holloway is one of my, my favorite people uh, to work with because of his 
dedication to the community as a whole. I think oftentimes we miss that piece that they're really trying to connect people to different resources and they can really take a step back and look at it holistically and say, this is what my community needs. And I think that moment that he reached out and said, Feeding Tampa Bay is the food relief organization that's really gonna help us connect people to what they need. Um, that just started a wonderful relationship between uh, you know, Feeding Tampa Bay and law enforcement. So that's probably my favorite story to start with, but since then it's obviously grown um, every single month, we continue to do a distribution with the St. Pete Police Department and Tangerine Plaza. So uh, we've continued to build that relationship. And, you know, that initial crisis that happened with Irma has evolved into a relationship where now we're working with them weekly at one of our mega pantry distributions on Saturday at Tropicana Field. Right, which I'm actually heading to myself. I love, that's one of my favorite places to be is that Tropicana Mega, uh, connecting with those that we serve. So basically there, we have police on site at our Megas and our mobiles. What is the reason for that? So one, we obviously need to make sure we're doing right by the entire community, that we're not congesting up traffic, that overflow is, um, not impacting other folks who are trying to get to their destination as well, because that can create a domino effect. And we obviously want to keep everyone safe on the roadways. I think the other piece of it is um, we really want people to see how much that relationship between the food bank and the police department that we're, we're all there for the community. And that is the most important thing. We're all in this together to help provide those resources to our families that need it. And just that relationship is important for everyone to see how important that they are to us and that we are to them. It's been really amazing to see how our relationship has grown with, uh, especially the Tampa Police Department at the Mega Pantries. We started HCC Hillsborough Community College on Saturdays back in April. And, you know, we envisioned, you know, we're probably going to serve around a thousand people. Well, that location has now grown to 3,500 and we would not be able to continue at that pace if we didn't have the con continued support of um, the Tampa Police Department and, and the mayor too as well. So I think what has been really nice is we built relationships with them. We know them on, you know, a name by name basis and that they see how much that need is out there and that we're working together to create solutions for the community that it's not just one of us like we need the police department just like they need us to be out there and helping feed the community so um, it's nice to see them out there helping with traffic and answering questions and I think they've gotten to know a little bit more about our business and the other way around too. How do you deal with certain issues? So those relationships have really done a nice job in blossoming over uh, over the years. I, you know, I, I've been to a few of the uh, the mega pantries to take photos and stuff. And it's really interesting, you know, talking, especially to the people on our team who are in charge of coordinating them, like Nicole Oswald, who is uh, one of the main heads of the uh, of some of the mega pantries. And she was saying, you know, we were talking about how at HCC originally, like the first week that we did it, the, the line of cars was like all the way down Dale Mabry. And, you know, um, we, we did our best, you know. But she said how uh, when we first brought in, um, you know, the, um, the Tampa police, they were like, oh, well, don't you know about the snaking pattern? And she was like, the what? And like, you know, they, they snaked the cars through the parking lot and all of a sudden, you know, we, we majorly cut down our footprint. 
Um, and then another, uh, uh, you know, one of our employees from agency relations, Scarlett, uh, was out there counting cars as they came in to keep track of everyone. And, uh, you know, she, she was going to be out there for hours. And one of the officers, you know, was like, Scarlett, do you want a seat? And he just pulled like this little fold up chair out of his trunk and like walked over and gave it to her. And she's like, oh, you saved my life. Like, <laughs> you know, just lots of little interactions like that are so great to see. Yeah, I, I would also share that, you know, when we talked about the snaking patterns and things like that, we really worked together. So we went out there, we had a plan, you know, it worked well. They're like, hey, you guys are doing a great job, but let's think about this differently. And that feedback back and forth. Now they know it's a well-oiled machine with our work together, though, that made it possible. It made us possible to be able to serve 3,500 every single Saturday. I mean, that's phenomenal every Saturday. It's not just a one-time thing. And just working through any challenges and the trust that that builds to, that we're doing everything we can, you know, to help you, to help us. So I think that's really, uh, it's been really cool to see. It's been cool to build relationships with the police department. You know, when we know it's Officer Stanley's 50th birthday and we can give him a shout out, it's always great. Um, so that was, uh, it, it's just been a really wonderful relationship to have, I have to say. So another thing that we wanted to touch on as well is we always have warm and wonderful people throughout the 10 counties that we serve that want to do their own food drives or distributions. Um, and we support that 100%, but we wanna make sure that they know what that entails. And one of those um, key pieces um, in distributing food is having our law enforcement involved. Can you tell them exactly what it is that they need to do? Of course, that we're a well-oiled machine. We do um, six mega pantries, over 150 uh, mobile pantries per week, and somebody wants to do this for us. Who do they need to call um, in their area to help support that, besides reaching out to Feeding Tampa Bay for us to help guide them? Right. I, I would say you when you are talking about food drives, you need to kind of look at it in two ways. I was out at the store the other day wearing my Feeding Tampa Bay shirt, and I had someone that said, hey, I'd love to support my local community, and I have food I'd love to donate. How can I do that? And so when you have different conversations with people, you kind of gauge what kind of level are we talking about. So this individual was talking about how can I personally just contribute to, you know, do I need to go all the way to Tampa? And I shared with her, you know, you can also donate to local agencies. If it's a smaller donation, you don't want to make the trip up to uh, Tampa, that's completely okay. We have over 500 partners in the 10 counties that we serve. So if it's a small scale, we can definitely connect people to different agencies if they want to do a food drive or they're looking and going, hey, I'd like to, you know, shop for some groceries for uh, my neighbors. We can definitely make those connections. But I'd say if it's a smaller scale, we can connect people locally. And that's probably a, a great way to start. You know, if it's a larger distribution or I'm sorry, a larger food drive, there are a lot of things that can happen. A lot of our community really wants to get invested in feeding our neighbors. So everybody has great intentions and we wanna get a lot of food, but that can really back up into traffic. If you're a smaller um, location and you don't have a big parking lot and all of a sudden you have a hundred cars lined up, that can get pretty, crazy out there. Uh, we don't want to back up traffic or create any accidents. So making sure you're reaching out to, you know, your local law enforcement, uh, seeing if there's anything you need to do in terms of making sure that everybody stays safe and that, you know, 
that overflow is going to be controlled, making sure you have a logistical plan in mind if it does get busy in your area and, you know, kind of looking at things from how much am I advertising this? How many people do I expect? But if it gets too big, then what happens? So I think always having um, those connections in the, in the community of knowing, okay, I need to let my neighbors know if I'm at a business, you know, whether you're collecting food at your local business, well, do you have neighbors that that could impact, right? You want to be a good neighbor to everyone. You don't want to block their employees parking, any of that. So I would say making sure people are aware and kind of talking through what are the obstacles we can encounter. I would say traffic's usually a big one. If you get a big turnout, you want to make sure we're protecting everyone um, and making sure it's a smooth process too for anyone who's donating that food so they continue to come back to you put that request out again. And probably a good side note to that, you know, in terms of contacting local law enforcement is to like look up the non-emergency number. Like don't call 911 and say, come help us with our pantry, you know, because they, they all departments do have a non-emergency number where you can just ask questions like that and find out how they can help. Great point. You know, it, those resources are great to have on hand no matter what, um, but making sure that they know it's not an emergency, <laughs> but you do need uh, that support. And if it ha if you can get ahead of it, that's always better instead of having to be responsive. Even if you give a heads up to your local law enforcement saying, hey, we're hosting this special food drive. We plan to have it under control, but if something happens, please let us know so we can uh, try to resolve any of those issues You know that may just pop up. Right. I also want to add there are fees that come with that. They are working hard and, and we do owe that them that respect that most of the time it is their extra duty hours when they come out, even for feeding Tampa Bay. So uh, know that when you reach out to them, uh, be aware. So um, we want to thank Rhonda. Thank you so much for taking the time. We know internally how absolutely insanely busy you are. Two million meals is a tremendous amount of food. We want to shout out to our law enforcement. We know that at the top of everything, it's about protecting and serving. Just like for us, it's about getting food on tables, um, healthy and nutritious meals. So thank you, friends. And that's another episode of WTFB. And no, Thomas, I am not resigning and I'm not joining the Clearwater Police Department, even though I am totally down when driving that new boat out there at the beach. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Feeding Tampa Bay.